As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Soccer Show and our weekend review. In El Clasico, Frank Gessie's goal was vital as it appears Barcelona have now won the title. Real Madrid might be feeling domestic fatigue, but hey, they'll probably still win the Champions League. In the Rome derby, it was Lazio who held the controls in a game that had three times more red cards than goals. At the end, Matias Acania joined the Lazio fans to sing, a rare example of them celebrating the left wing. Elsewhere, Napoli pushed on and Juventus were bold and Zlatan scored despite being very old. In Germany, Bayern slipped and it's easy to see it's now all to lose for BFLB. In the FA Cup, Fulham decided to self-destruct and in the Premier League, Chelsea kind of sucked and Antonio Conte <laughs> got on the mic with some venomous spitting in what must be the opposite of quiet quitting. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who's hoping Kim Kardashian doesn't attend any Man United games anytime <laughs> soon, Taylor Rockwell. Have you seen she's the anti-good luck charm of the moment? I have not, but I'm not surprised. What did she do? She went to Arsenal's game in the Europa League last Thursday. They done lost. Well, they done got knocked uh-huh. out on penalties. She went to PSG's game where they lost for the first time in a very long time. She's been going to games and the hosts have been losing, Taylor. She's doing an inter- interesting interpretation of literally being a plastic fan. That's, that's well done by her. Uh, yes, I am good with her not being a Man United fan. Uh, somehow she would be the like least problematic person currently associated with the club uh, from an acquisition standpoint. So who knows? Maybe it would all work out. Yeah, need some more. Maybe some Julia Roberts should come over to those clubs and, you know, redress the balance a little bit. I heard she's people like her, right? Pep Supposedly. Anyway. I think she's yeah. America's sweetheart. I don't know. Pep, Pep loves her. So maybe she should go to Man City instead. Indeed. Joining us, Taylor, a man who hits like a Tiago Armada free kick, Joe Lowry. That was sweet, wasn't it? Ooh. Oh, I still cannot believe how good that free kick was. Like, I... I I struggled to think of a free kick off the top of my head that is better than that one. You could put a postage stamp in the upper 90, and it's it's gone. It's been completely knocked out of the goal by that shot from Diego Almada. I cannot believe how good of a strike that was. I've watched it probably. This feels like a Taylor thing to say. I probably watched it 30 times since it was taken. I can't stop, guys. I think I might need help. 
Joe, what's your favorite angle? I'm, I'm assuming it's the one from behind him where you can see of the Of course. Full yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be. Like, you can track it the whole way and you get to see the bend. The amount of bend on that thing is it's stupid. It's yeah. absolutely stupid. Almada's very good. Yeah, it's the similar. only bad it, angle, uh, Joe, is the angle the goalkeeper had where he couldn't see a thing. <laughs> I did he, see. He, he cheated him. Go ahead, he, got, he got him. He tricked him, right, Joe? Is that what you saw? I mean, did so, you see that too? I saw, so what I saw was analysis from Nick Romando on Twitter. And uh, when Nick Romando talks about goalkeeping, I, uh, I listen. So basically what Romando was saying with how far out Almada was, you don't really need more than two people in your wall. So Portland had more than two people on their wall. Then Atlanta stuck another like three people in their wall. I think it ended up being seven. So maybe it was four and three or three and four. It doesn't matter. And at that point, the goalkeeper can't see anything for Portland. And I don't think it was going to matter one bit, to be honest. I'm not sure he's getting to that ball either way. But I thought that was fascinating. Not an angle that I considered. And Nick Romando knows something about angles. I did also then see uh, Tiago Mata said, and I think said this with a, like, I'm not sure if this actually happened, but he was saying that when he was practicing free kicks with uh, Atlanta's reserve goalkeeper, he found that if he looked very hard in one direction and then took his steps back, the goalkeeper would always dive to that direction. So when he went to take this free kick, he did the same thing setting up. He looked to the wrong side, and I think mm. the goalkeeper did indeed jump the wrong way. And so maybe that's part of it, some gamesmanship there. That's some craftiness. That's my FIFA strategy to saving penalties, and in this case, uh, leads to a wonderful goal. So well done there. Very nice. More on that MLS chat later, but we're introducing our returning champion, Graham Ruthven, refreshed from his vacation and from a visit to Scotland's worst toilet. Hello, Graham. Hello, Ryan. Yes, I uh, I had a lovely time off. Uh, seemingly not as lovely as Kim Kardashian's uh, vacation in, in Europe, visiting all the, the football stadiums of uh, of the UK and France. If she wants to come with me to Dumbarton, Stirling Albion on April 11th, uh, the Beanos could use the Kim Kardashian curse to curse Dumbarton in that match. Uh, I am I am open to that invitation. Uh, she's welcome to come along. Yeah, on, on the Patreon, um, Graham, patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show, if you want to watch Graham's latest adventure in Scottish soccer. Um, that you, you, I think you described it as having 300 people there and Scotland's worst toilet, which was an interesting <laughs> thing. I'm not sure Kim Kardashian would be entertained by that prospect, but you, you mentioned Scotland's worst toilet, and I don't know if you saw uh, mm. elsewhere in the UK, Graham, the Old Trafford River of Pea that was uh, on no, social media last week, where no, basically the toilets completely overflowed. Uh, also, if you've ever seen a toilet in Rome, then um, they're all like that one in Scotland. Mm, yeah, I didn't see the Old Trafford River of, of P, but I like to think that I, I do know that the, the two bidders for Manchester United turned up at Old Trafford in the training ground last week for meetings with the Glazers and whoever. I like to think that that was their introduction to Manchester United and just how much investment it's going to take to, uh, to, to redevelop Old Trafford. It's, it's a bit of a dump at the moment. I yeah. thought about that. I thought about them like walking through the stadium and they get to the river of pee and they just look up and they're like, take, take a half billion off right now. Like, like, like yeah. I feel like that would be an immediate, like if you walked into a house and there was just an active sewage leak, I don't think they're getting the, full asking price for that one. This is going to take a lot of sports washing. <laughs> hey! Graham, Graham, I wanted to ask, was that a, was that a train spotting reference? The worst toilet in Scotland? Yeah. Attaboy. It was indeed. Ewan McGregor wasn't in there, but it wouldn't have surprised me if he was. <laughs> <laughs> that's good did you say the beanos there's a team named the beanos that's, that's us albion the beanos come on the beanos that's our nickname 
are you named after the anti-gas medicine or is that sure is that yeah just a fun that, let's say that's the reason yeah yeah <laughs> perfect perfect <laughs> wonderful good start to the show with rivers of pee oh. my favorite billy joel song by the way in the middle of the night very good song. um Speaking of the piano man, Joe Lowry, uh, Chammy's League theme played on piano on our Patreon as well. Very, very impressive. That was stuff. so impressive. I don't think I've been on since since you did that, Joe, last week. That yeah. I, I was flabbergasted, quite frankly. Wow, you're you're a man wow. of many talents. Certainly more talents than I, who's just Thank walking you, around man. toilets, I, filming I, them and putting them on the Patreon. <laughs> Graham, let's, let's say we have our different lanes. We have our different lanes. One perhaps more classical than the next. Although I'm not sure which is more classical of those two, to be honest. Um, I uh, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, piano's been uh, a, a theme throughout my life. It wasn't even like very good, um, but the fact that so many people enjoyed it does make me happy. So thank you to there Graham you and, and to all the other folks who commented nice things, especially about the metronome, as we discussed mm. briefly last week. You were right on time. I love the metronome click in the background as well. Uh, much uh, mirth to be had on our Patreon listener if you haven't joined already, including Graham walking into Toilets in Scotland filming, which is a risky <laughs> endeavour, I'd say, at the best of times. Uh, so <laughs> more of that if you want to join us on patreon.com slash Show. Before we get into the action, there's been plenty of action this weekend. A quick look back to Friday's Champions League draw. Uh, we have Benfica taking on Inter Milan, Man City versus Bayern Munich, Real Madrid versus Chelsea, and Milan taking on Napoli. Graham, we also had the semi-final draw, and this yeah. is where it gets interesting because there's one half of the draw which feels a bit heavier than the other half. Indeed. So Milan versus Napoli and Benfica versus Inter is going into one of the semis. So one of Milan, Napoli, Benfica, or Inter are guaranteed to make the Champions League final. The other side, Real Madrid, Chelsea, and Man City, Bayern. So... Only one of those is crazy. Yeah, so 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 Bayern Bayern Munich, uh, Man City kind of feels like the the best that match the Champions League can offer this season in terms of quality. On the other side of the draw, I almost find that even more interesting for the reasons that you laid out there, Ryan. This is a great draw for Napoli, who I think out of those four teams, Benfica, AC Milan, Napoli, Inter, are seem like the strongest. Certainly because three of those teams already play in Serie A, and Napoli are like a hundred points ahead of them at this stage of the season. I had a feeling that Napoli might do something in the Champions League this season, certainly after the kind of first half of the season that they had. And this draw just kind of backs up that feeling. Ryan, when we did our draft, you took Napoli with the first pick, correct? Sure. Are you feeling better about that now with the, the divisions being as they are? It does seem like yes. Napoli are the favorites to make it to the final from their side. Yeah, it does. As I say, they've got Milan, Benfica, or Inter on their side of the bracket, Taylor. So they have a nice path now. I'd be pretty happy if I was a Napoli fan. I cannot remember who else was taken in this one. I think I had Man City and I think Joe had Bayern. Is that right, Joe? I think so too, but I was just thinking, ah, oh, maybe I should have gone back and listened to that Patreon episode before we started. <laughs> I will, I'll echo a lot of thoughts that have been said already. The other spin, though, on the weaker half of the bracket is Benfica, who I've been pretty impressed by throughout this competition. They have a, re- a resounding win over Bruges. I mean, the easiest draw of the lot in the last round. But, I mean, they now have a real shot against Inter, who are... Fine. I think they're they're one of the stronger teams in Italy right now, but they're not really anything to write home about. So you've got Benfica with a real chance there. And then it is Napoli who's the strongest team on this half. But a Benfica-Napoli semifinal, like that Napoli will be favored 100%. But for Benfica, the smallest team of the teams remaining, still a giant club, but the smallest team of the teams remaining, this is about as good of a chance as they could have gotten to advance into the final of this whole competition. Yes, indeed. Uh, these quarterfinals taking place in April, the semis in May. We'll have more on that when the time 
comes. Why don't we take a quick look at the... Oh, what? more than a quick look at the Classico shall we which happened on Sunday night of course Barcelona 2 Real Madrid 1 Barcelona going 12 points clear at the top with 12 games to go in Liga from Kessie's injury time winner possibly ending the title race here um, pretty dramatic game I'd say Madrid having one ruled out for offside late on from it was Asensio I think wasn't it a pretty narrow decision there and Joe I don't know how much you caught this one but an exciting game in the last 20 minutes were pretty close as well good Classico yeah, absolutely. It absolutely was. I watched this whole thing and I was I was entertained. Graham, I saw your tweet that was something to the effect of like you can't tell me that El Clasico still isn't the best matchup in soccer. And we talked about that on the Patreon recently. I'm not sure that it's like the I, I'm not sure that it still has its status as top billing. But as far as a game that I enjoy so consistently on the European soccer calendar, like this is it. This is the one. I loved how many tactical adjustments and tweaks we had in this game. That's that's the nerdy way that I'll start. So we have Enchilati against Xavi. And you had a lot of different things take place over the course of the match. Barcelona, with Gavi sort of as a left winger, sort of central midfielder, half space guy popping up in different spots. They were trying to overload the midfield. Real Madrid were messing with their press and how they set up defensively to try to compensate for that. And overall, I thought they did a pretty good job. Barcelona, to me, felt like the better team for most of this match. But I will say, when you go behind early, as they do throw a really bizarre own goal from Araujo that comes off of, of Vinicius on the left side... You know, it, it's going to be on you. The onus is on you to try to fight back and get back into this game. So it's not really a surprise to me that Barcelona had the advantage on shots and, and XG and a lot of that kind of stuff. But I was impressed by how Real Madrid tried to counter Barcelona. And then really, it was Barcelona and their players sort of figuring out the solutions to Ancelotti's latest Hail Mary set of changes at the end that pushed Carvajal way up, Fede Valverde inside and, and all of those things. That led to Barcelona having the space to ball. They having the space on the left side. Kessie arriving in the box. Like it was, it, it felt like a chess match. It felt like a chess match between two good teams. Barcelona seemingly yeah. wrapping up the league, and, and Real Madrid have already la- wrapped up the Champions League because it's called the Champions League. So that thing is done. Like this was, this was just a fun game. Yeah, I agree, Joe. That Barcelona certainly seemed like the the better team over ninety minutes. Probably deserved to edge it. By the way, a, a plot twist is Frank Kessie and Sergio Roberto scoring the two goals to win the Clasico and potentially win the title for Barcelona, given the criticism that those two players have, have faced over the course of the season. Um, but I did actually think Real Madrid at half time were in a decent position. Um, that's not me saying necessarily they had been the better team, but I think they will have been quite comfortable. At that point, so in particular, um, they were doing a good job of Barcelona playing through them. They had this box unit of Benzema, Valverde, Camavinga and Modric out of possession that was pressing high on the Barcelona defenders and it was stopping De Jong and Busquets getting turned. And the consequence of that for Barcelona was I felt they were quite cross-heavy in the first half. And I think Pedri was a big miss and he, he'd be the one to to help with this. And Roberto just doesn't have the same ability of taking the ball under pressure and, and wriggling away from a presser. And and so I thought Barcelona were a little bit short of ideas in that first half, even though they were seeing a lot of the ball. And sometimes it did feel like they were going to play through Real Madrid at will. But Real Madrid did a good job of keeping their shape. And then they obviously had their moments in transition. So I actually thought at halftime that the game was set up for Real Madrid in the second half. And obviously that's just not the way it panned out. What did you think, Taylor? Did the right team win here? Um, interesting thing for me, the Kroos maxim when Tony Kroos plays well, Madrid win. He did not play well. Yep. Subbed out. 
And uh, so the maxim still holds. I'm very proud and of it. Yeah, he did that for you, Ryan. It, it's, it, it is one of the games in which if the scoreline had gone the other way and the Asensio goal stands and it finishes 2-1 to one to Real Madrid, I say like, yeah, that feels like a, a, a fair result. And with this one finishing the way it does, I would say, yeah, that feels like a fair result. I, I agree with what uh, Joe and Graham have already said. I thought this was a really interesting game and it's sort of had the best of both worlds with a derby where you have the kind of technical brilliance that these two sides you would expect them to bring, but then also had a little bit of the personal, a little bit of the afters, a few little challenges in there, some talking back and forth. Uh, Vinicius Jr. having a word, maybe a a, a gentle, kind word to Araujo for the own goal, but Araujo did not seem to enjoy uh, that little chat from Vinny Jr., so who knows how friendly it actually was. Uh, But And I very much agree with Joe that I thought the kind of tactical wrinkles of this game were really, really interesting. Uh, Real Madrid, to my mind, it looked like when they were defending, they were in a 4-3-1-2 with Valverde becoming one of the three with Luka Modric ahead, sort of sitting on Sergio Busquets. Then you get Busquets moving out wide, taking Modric with him, and then Frankie de Jong starts filling that space. And then there's an, uh, a deliberate attempt by Real Madrid to track those runs, and it just sort of felt like trying to cancel each other out as the game went on. I think Ancelotti made some smart changes in this one, and I really liked... The idea of Danny Carvajal is basically Atraf Hakimi Mach 2, uh, like given the entire right side to operate. I do think the uh, the Kessier goal comes from Carvajal being a little bit yep. gassed, trying to force a cross. The cross gets cut out. He over-pursues trying to uh, uh, provide pressure and then is completely out of play. And now there's two attackers on the left side for Barca to just sort of go roaming down the pitch and they end up scoring. So in some ways... The tactical chess match ending up let it, ended up letting down Ancelotti in that way, but I think that's mostly due to fatigue and injury issues than it is anything else. So overall, I thought it was a a pretty great game and a fair result for Barcelona. And I know I know I've been on the Barcelona bandwagon throughout large stretches of this year, and I've tried to keep it somewhat even keeled, except when you know yelling at Graham about how they're the best team in Europe. That that you know, other than that moment, really, um, I, mean, I, I I felt to me in this game, it, it, Barcelona really showed that they are strong side like like when you go out and kill off the game in the way that they did and sure this this match was still delicately poised and Taylor you make a good point about the Asensio goal going and changing how we think about this but it's it's fine margins in this game and and the offside line worked in Barcelona's favor you know they saw the space they knew where to attack they were savvy enough to find the individual weak points in Real Madrid's shape and their structure in transition and possession like to me that's the sign of a really dangerous team it wasn't to this extent but I think about Man City in the Champions League right against Leipzig they found the weakness and they just like pummeled Leipzig over and over and this is like this is you know a massive difference between that kind of pummeling and this result which was very close in a lot of different ways but credit to Barcelona for finding and then exploiting a real weakness in their opposition that to me is one of the major signs always of just a truly dangerous and quality team. Barcelona clearly just have a much better idea of what they are as a team at this at this point in time. Real Madrid, I mean, maybe that isn't too surprising given that Real Madrid have traditionally always been a bit vibesy, and at the moment, they, the Ancelotti is their manager, who's the the most vibesy manager in European football. But nonetheless, you look at the way that they set up, and and Javi's got Alex Baldi high, very high and wide on the left side, and the reason that he's doing that is because. Earlier in the season, it was Dembele who was very high and wide on the right side. And I know Rafinha does maintain the width to a certain extent, but his starting position is a little bit more inside when it is when Dembele. And so Xavi realises that he needs that width. And so Alex Baldi's come back into the team to perform that role on the other side. And then you look at Real Madrid, who 
just don't have a right wing at all <laughs> at the moment, which is ironic for Real Madrid, actually, given their history. Um, borrowing your Lazio joke there a little bit, Ryan, uh, 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 appropriating it a little bit. But Carvajal and Fede Valverde right now, there's not really much of a relationship between the two of them. Valverde's in the team for his defensive qualities. I know he started the season scoring banger after banger, but that hasn't really been sustainable over the course of the whole season. So you look at this Real Madrid team and on a talent basis, I don't think there's much between Real Madrid and Barcelona at, at the moment. But in terms of the structure of the two teams, the approach of the two teams, Barcelona are just miles ahead of, of Real Madrid, even though they are still a work in progress as well. I think one of the biggest anomalies in European football right now is the fact that Barcelona have conceded, what is it, nine goals in... 28 La Liga games this season I would say defensively they are still vulnerable and I know that as a complete contradiction but nonetheless I look at how Manchester United in the Europa League basically just ran at Barcelona and scored what was it five goals over two legs I still think that's a weakness I still think they're a work in progress but out of the two teams right now Barcelona clearly um, are the better side as shown by their La Liga position. Indeed it is. Barcelona looking sharp as well, Graham, in their shirt sponsored by, well, the Spotify logo replaced by Rosalia, who is a musical artist I'm definitely aware of and have heard her contemporary <laughs> music offerings, definitely. Um, yes, I'm young and I'd also heard of that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's better than, I think, the first classical of the season was the Drake logo and everyone, yeah. we were talking about the Kim Kardashian curse, everyone knows <laughs> yeah. about the Drake curse and Barcelona lost that classical 3-1 at the start of the season. So I like to think that Drake had some sort of season-long contract and Barcelona were like, no, we have to replace. I mean, we have to replace that logo with something else. Barcelona have a lot of kids in their academy that they don't end up raising. So I guess in that way, the Drake connection works out. <laughs> wow. Oh boy, <laughs> we went there. Um, Graham, I'll, I'm going to swiftly try and change the subject here. There was a point in history. Well, I got Joe where... with that one. I got Joe with that one. <laughs> oh, you got word. us all. You got us all. Well, uh, Liam Gallagher. Um, there was a point, oh. Graham, where Liam Gallagher believed he was the reincarnation of John Lennon. Um, even though their lives very much overlapped for many years. Okay, uh, sure. But then, then I see Pep at the game with Johan Cruyff's wife. Is, yeah. is Pep, does Pep believe he is the reincarnation of Johan Cruyff in a Liam Gallagher style, even though they worked together and very much overlapped? I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past Pep Guardiola, to be honest. Yeah, that was that was quite something to see him there with uh, with Cruyff's wife. Some some of the some of the expressions that Pep had on his face during this game were very entertaining, even more entertaining than than normal. But yeah, good to good to see him at at, yeah. at this game. And uh, I'd like to know what his thoughts are on Barcelona right now because they're kind of using his blueprint and then adapting it for the modern age so i don't know whether he's pleased or secretly furious that they are being guided away from uh, tiki taka i think the Maybe source of pep's energy is that he's always secretly furious yeah. uh, i enjoyed true, true. that a lot just because uh to my memory uh, it was Cruyff that sort of moved guardiola into the position he became famous for and sort of got the best out of him when he was seen as a sort of slow, lanky teenager that wasn't going to be able to do that much or was going to be like a squad player at most. And so I have to imagine that there was a lot of sort of or a strong relationship between Cruyff and Pep and and, and that that kind of bleeds into their family members. So I like that there was still that sort of connection there on display for Barcelona. Very nice. That was the Classico. When we come back after this break, plenty more rivalries and derbies to talk about, including the Rome derby, the Classica in Holland and much, much more back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's take our attention to the eternal city, Rome, where I'm sitting right now. Lazio 1, Roma 0. Uh, Matteo Zaccagni with the deciding goal here. The first derby win in over a decade for Lazio, putting them in second place in the Serie A table. This one was a pretty bad-tempered game. It was bordering on chaos <laughs> for quite a lot of it, I'd say, Graham. Um, three players and two coaches sent off, a bunch yeah. of red cards after the final whistle in this one i do like it when there's a brawl after the final whistle and the referee has also to still act. isn't that good isn't it good yeah, it is indeed and i think in one of the patreon videos i watched it back sterling albion had a brawl after full time in one of their games and i shouted hit him and i'm not totally sure that i was aware that i did that so uh very much enjoy a brawl <laughs> after uh after full time there was a good one in this match this match was just complete chaos from very early on um and the first real chaotic moment moment was when Abanias gets sent off and honestly I'm not sure I've seen a red card celebrated so much I'm not criticizing I'm here for it but the, the crowd noise was incredible Milinkovic Savic was throwing up his arms uh, in celebration and then from there everything was just manic as you say Ryan Zakania scoring a very lovely goal where Felipe Anderson's nice little touch sliced through the Roma defense the finish was very satisfying as well into the far corner and then two minutes later, Roma equalised, only for it to be ruled out for an offside. And then for good measure, two more red cards after full time. So this is exactly what you want from a derby. I haven't always I haven't always thought that the Rome derbies are kind of that full of life. The atmosphere doesn't, doesn't always seem to be that great. There's some em- empty, seats, empty seats. I think even for this game, there were some empty seats at the Olympico. I think the, the stadium is maybe a little bit too big for Lazio in particular, but this was highly, highly entertaining and I enjoyed it from start to finish. Yeah, great. Uh, just for a bit of context, Roman context, um, the city yesterday in Rome had its marathon. So on the day when it's the biggest game 
in the city. They decided to close <laughs> off the entire city for half the day, which was great. And sure. I, when when we went to church as a family in the morning, when I say church, I mean we went to the Starbucks in Rome uh, in the morning. Um, <laughs> on the other way, coming down the other way on the road uh, was... It's not uh, even a joke. It's not a joke. It's completely true. Um, there was all the police riot vans, and I think it was about 30 in a row. They all had their sirens going. It was very dramatic. So, like, the whole city was ready for this game, and it was the energy you could tell from even from the CBS broadcast was very, very impressive there. And the scenes at the end, the, the, the Lazio players were dancing around, and the guy holding the eagle was dancing, and this eagle's going up and down on this guy's arm looking like, I don't want to be here. I want to be flying away from this. Uh, situation and there's a can you climbing the fences uh, uh by by the call of a, uh to sing with the fans as well which is all very very fun indeed yeah, yeah. ryan did you say this was lazio's first win in a derby for how long i for, believe a decade for... i i think that's what they said on the broadcast if i'm not mistaken right i mean i wasn't aware of that but that kind of makes sense because this this match felt like lazio at this moment know that they are better than roma and that hasn't been the case for a long time Mm -hmm. and you could tell that and just the body language of how their players seem to be a little bit more up from it up for it from the start and i think lazio have flown under the radar a bit this season but they are playing some really excellent stuff right now and maurizio sari his fingerprints are all over this team as you would expect so lazio are excellent in possession they're comfortable in the ball but it's not possession for possession's sake as some critics of Sarri used to say certainly in England that was always a criticism made of him and and, in fact watching this game Lazio are very good at turning possession into transition moments and we saw that a number of times in this match and we saw it against Napoli a couple weeks ago as well when they when they beat Napoli and they're press resistant they press well themselves they have excellent fitness and I think if they were able to upgrade in just a couple of key positions, most notably at centre forward, where I think Immobile, he's been out uh, for uh, out injured for a few games this season. He's now 33. I know he's been good for them for a number of number of years, but I think you could upgrade in him. If you could upgrade in a couple of key positions, I, I do kind of wonder what the ceiling could be for Lazio under Sarri because it's not so long ago that he had that brilliant Napoli team that just fell short at the end. And so if he gets a little bit of investment, Lazio now up to second place in Serie A, they're still a long way behind Napoli. But talking about building for next season, I am interested to see what this team could become. Graham, yeah. when you talk about uh, like the, the energy, just how up for it Lazio looked, uh, strange to me, are you suggesting that a team coached by Jose Mourinho had poor body language? I, I find that very hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, Jose Mourinho wasn't even at this game. I like to think he was he was uh, in his hotel. I mean, I, I presume in Rome, like at every club, he's living in a hotel, like he lived in the Lowry. He in still Manchester. lives in Manchester in that hotel, actually. Sure, he's, he's still in the Lowry, yeah, yeah. watching this game the on greatest, Sport in his The boxers. greatest hotel in existence, just to be clear, the Lowry. <laughs> agree, agree. Oh, yeah. what, do we, what do you all feel like is Jose Mourinho's mandate at Roma? I know that's kind of a big question, but Roma never feel like a team that are fully primed for a title challenge they don't seem like they have that investment to be able to push on to overcome some of the other historical competitors in that way they've come relatively close they win some silverware but it doesn't seem like Mourinho is is necessarily pushing them on to that next level but it also doesn't seem like they want him out he's going to go anywhere anytime soon so it just sort of seems like a manager in a club that are sort of okay with challenging for top four, challenging for Europa League or Europa Conference, getting more tattoos of silverware along the way. Yeah. There it that's is. kind of where things are. I, th- yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. Uh, yeah, but he has a lot of credit in this country, Taylor, for what he did with Inter for the treble, um, what was that, 2010? Uh, and he is well-loved in Rome, definitely. Everyone you talk to really appreciates him because he won a trophy last year. and It may mm-hmm. not have been 
the main trophy, but he won a trophy that they hadn't done in a while. So he, the, he is because he, the competition hasn't existed. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's some MLS like inaugural winners. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, first time ever. I, I, I can understand Jose Mourinho having a lot of capital in Italy. Uh, I can understand that it, it does sort of blow my mind that that was 13 years ago. Like the game has changed a lot, and soccer has changed a lot, and Italian soccer has changed a lot in 13 years. I think Jose Mourinho is still a very good and capable manager. He knows a ton about this game and is is one of the greatest coaches to ever do it. But a, a lot has changed, and so some of that blind faith feels a little strange to me. But Taylor, to answer your question, I was going to make the tattoo joke, so I'll just skip that. Um, but it's it's Champions League. I think it has to be Champions League for this Roma team. Yeah. They're not the most talented team in Italy, but they can reasonably expect to finish in the top four. They're fifth right now, one point behind Milan. So they have very much that top four in their sights over the course of the season. And, and for me, that's clearly Jose Mourinho's goal at Roma. Yeah, I mean, that has been the target right from the start for Roma to get into the top four. I have to say, given how the, the other teams above them have fallen away, I don't know if it's a great sign for Roma and Mourinho that that Roma aren't in the top four right now, given that AC Milan, I think of what, they've, they're without a win in three games. Inter have fallen away pretty dramatically as well. And Roma are still outside the top four. And when you look through their squad and their and their team and the quality that, that, that they have. So, you know, a front line of Dybala, Pellegrini, Tammy, Abraham, Chris Smallin at the back has done very well in, in, in Italy, Cristante, Ibanez, Patricio's a good goalkeeper. I, I, I'm i not sure I can make the argument he's kind of, he's maximising the talent in that squad. I think Roma are pretty much where they should be in the table. They should maybe even be a little bit higher given that Lazio on, on talent, I think are worse off than Roma. So, I think that's a good question, Taylor, and I think while he does have credit in the bank and the Roma fans still seem to be bought into him to a certain extent, I think if you don't have a trophy to show at the end of the season like he did last year with the Conference League, it it, it may be a little bit more difficult for him to kind of justify his own employment. I think this will end up making sense, what I'm about to say, which is always a good way to begin. Uh, yeah. Joe said earlier that like since he had those successes with Inter that the game has changed so much. I would quote uh, Slim Charles from The Wire, the game is the game, just got more fierce. And in that way, that is sort <laughs> of true that I think pressing became so much more ubiquitous that it did get more fierce, it did get more intense. And that is the thing that Jose Mourinho's teams really haven't done, really haven't embraced. And so in that way, maybe Roma is the sort of perfect place for him where he can still play the way he wants to but is not going to like demand that top tier talent and can allow his teams to play the game as he wants to play the game still being a little bit fierce but not full fierce there we go a nice slim charles reference we're going to talk about the team from Amsterdam very shortly but a quick run Lovely. through the rest of Serie. you're welcome napoli 4 torino <laughs> nil napoli 19 points clear uh, after um, Inter, of course, dro- dropping points, uh, 1-0 win for Juve. Uh, a couple of red cards after the final whistle in that one as well. And Milan losing 3-1 to Udinese. Uh, but Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming the oldest ever goal scorer in Serie A with a retaken penalty at 41 years and 166 days. Uh, there's hope for us all, Taylor. Wonderful stuff. 41 years old is Zlatan. Yeah, still me and Zlatan. Like pretty much the same as far as like physicality, tattoos, temperament, the way we refer to ourselves in the third person. Taylor does that. Zlatan does that too. <laughs> there we go. We're all. I promise never to actually do that. That is one vow I will make to you all. Well, we have you on a documented recording doing it just then. But okay, Taylor didn't mean it. 
Uh, let's go to De Classica in the Eredivisie. Ajax against Feyenoord. This one is, of course. And Feyenoord coming out 3-2 winners in Amsterdam for this one. Uh, they came back from 2-1 down with an 86th-minute winner here. Uh, Feyenoord opening up the gap at the top of the table to six points. Uh, Joe, did we catch this one? Did we love it? Yeah, we did catch it, and we did love it. I guess we're all doing weird things with pronouns and how we talk about ourselves <laughs> in this show. Um no, this this Joe is just it. a really, really good game. Joe loved it, guys. Joe really did love <laughs> it. It boosted Feyenoord's title odds in a, in a major way. We talked about this match and sort of looked ahead to it a couple of weeks ago on a Listener Questions episode when when somebody kindly wrote in to ask us about the Eredivisie title race and who we thought was going to win. I think we all said Ajax, but we all also pointed to this game over the weekend as being the pivotal moment because it was the last league meeting between these two sides. And now coming out of this weekend... Feyenoord have the boost in points. They're up six points. Ryan, you said it. According to 538, they have an 89% chance now to win the league. Ajax down all the way to 8%. So this was a pivotal meeting. And it was just a, a good game. Like a really, really good game in terms of pure entertainment value, in terms of the talent on display. Feyenoord go up first through a goal from Jimenez, uh, a player that Mexican international fans are, are watching very, very closely. And a lot of them are wishing would have been at the World Cup. I don't know that it would have made any difference. But 21-year-old striker Santi Jimenez has been good this year in the Eredivisie. He scores first for Feyenoord, and then Ajax come back and equalize. Then Ajax take the lead before the end of the first half. And then Feyenoord have to come back and, and jump into the driver's seat once more, and ultimately they win this thing 3-2. So you have three different lead changes in this game. A lot of quality on display. One player that really stood out for me, I know he comes from the losing side in this match, but it's Kenneth Taylor. We've seen Ajax consistently develop players over and over and over again. They get pillaged in the in the summer window, and I think that's a big part of why they've struggled this year for stretches and really failed to live up to where they were last season and where they've been in seasons past. But they lose Ryan Gravenberg to Bayern Munich, who hasn't really been a factor there. But then there's a question of, oh, who's going to come in and fill his spot? Well, it's Kenneth Taylor. Folks, if you want to sort of seem smart in soccer conversations with your friends, just drop this name in 18 months from now, because surely everyone will remember who you recommended 18 months in the past. 18 months from now, I think Kenneth Taylor is going to be the next guy coming to a top European club or a Premier League club near you, left-footed for the most part, but has a good right foot as well, really good at linking play, has some ability to arrive in the box and, and end up on the box score stats as well. Just a phenomenal young central midfielder, 20-year-old Dutch player. He was really good in this game. Didn't end up mattering. Like I said, final get the win. And congrats to them because this was pivotal, like we've said so far. And I would expect that Feyenoord are going to lift this yeah. trophy. So congratulations to them. I, I was just so impressed with Feyenoord who basically played Ajax ball at the home of Ajax. They, they were quicker to pretty much everything. There was more intensity to their play in and out of possession. The way that they passed around Ajax at times as well was was fantastic. Ajax, when you look at the two teams, they certainly still have the talent advantage over every other team in Holland as well, not just Feyenoord. Um, even after losing so many players last summer, there's still a lot of talent in this team. But on the basis of this match, and you'd have to say that the season as as, as a whole, given the, the lead that Feyenoord have now, they're just a much better coached team. And and Arnie Slot is 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 that is that coach as that manager. He um was actually on Leeds United shortlist to replace Jesse Marsh. He was one of the the managers that they went after. He turned that job down to basically see this out with Feyenoord, which is looking like a looking like a pretty good decision at this point. Um, for Ajax, I thought Calvin Bassey was identified as a weak link, and Feyenoord basically played as many balls in behind him as they could and looked to to get him in behind his uh, kind of blind spot. And that's exactly what happened for 
Feyenoord's equaliser through Shemansky, um, and yeah, I think Bassi kind of epitomises some of the problems that Ajax have had since last summer because he is a good player. There is a reason that Ajax wanted him in the first place, but a criticism of him at Rangers was that he's not naturally comfortable in the ball, so it was it was a bit weird that Ajax went for him given how they they play. And as I say, there are good teams in this, uh, good players in this Ajax team, but there's a lot of players not with clear roles with 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 uh, coherent positions in the team and look I know that's that's the point of Ajax's style of play to a certain extent but it's not getting the best out of these players Schroeder's appointment was was clearly a mistake Johnny Heitinger comes in this was actually his his first defeat as Ajax manager in, in the league so he's done reasonably well to even get Ajax back into the picture but I think this summer is going to be a, a big a big summer for Ajax. They have to figure some, th- some things out. They need to work out uh, a kind of more coherent style of play, which is not something you really say about Ajax all that often, but this match kind of laid bare some of the issues that they have. On the flip side, uh, Graham, you mentioned the interest in slots from uh, Leeds. Do you feel like Leeds' loss is Crystal Palace's game? Because that's one where they're currently without a manager. There's talk that maybe they'll bring in Hudson until the end of the season. I don't know if that will end up happening. But he seems like one who could come in and sort of inject some energy and some, uh, like, I don't know, passion into a Palace team that haven't looked as focused, as energetic. Uh, I don't want to necessarily just talk about Feyenoord in relation to their manager leaving, but I am, having watched this game, really excited for what comes next for Slot, even if it's just staying with Feyenoord, because I, I thought they were super fun to watch and also just very yeah. engaging, very technical, very tactical across the board. I love that midfield. I have lots to say about it, but I don't want to go on too long. I, I, I don't think there's a huge body of work from, from Schlott and, and Feyenoord, and that, I don't think that's me being uh, ignorant. I just think, I was reading before this match about how Feyenoord becoming title challengers was kind of unexpected this season. A lot of people thought it was going to be PSV with Cody Gakpo, and then Ajax, even after losing Ten Hag and all, all the players that they lost last summer, they would still have the, the best squad in, in, in Holland. And then Feyenoord were kind of predicted to be this this third force, um, I believe they're in the Conference League. I think they're still in that competition at this moment. So that's another trophy that, that they can win this season. And then uh, Arnie Schlott can get the Jose Mourinho Conference League tattoo, as is now customary, as in a tradition for that tournament. But I would like to see Schlott take them into the into the Champions League. I still think there's more that they can achieve um, with, under Schlott before he maybe makes that jump to the Premier League. But yeah, I can see why teams like Crystal Palace are are interested in him. There's certainly more reason to be interested in Arnie Slot than there is in uh, Roy Hodgson. I can't believe yeah. that that is the best idea that Crystal Palace have at the moment. He's 75. And if you're watching <laughs> Feyenoord because you maybe want to recruit their manager, I would say lots of clubs are probably also watching the squad itself. Because I thought uh, Sebastian Szymanski, who I've not been overly impressed with, usually I think I've seen him with Poland in international duty. I thought he was a key part of this game. Just the way he pressed, the way he stepped, he was alive to every single thing, but also helped facilitate attacking play. But I think the first goal comes from him just being alive to a loose ball. He steps, he wins. They reestablish possession. And I thought he was the motor that this team needed. And I thought uh, Orkun Kukju, uh, the other midfielder, the captain, uh, war number 10, he's 22 years old wearing the captain's armband. And I I had not seen him. I haven't watched Feyenoord this season. So to watch him and just be sort of blown away by every single piece of his game that he has the feistiness, he has the physicality, but then to, like technical control on the ball, really good passing vision, really good leadership. I felt like he was a really complete player that will help a high-energy team that needs that sort of high-energy midfielder look that much better. He's another player that I won't be surprised if we see make a move this summer because I thought from start to finish in this game, he was a, a key performer. 
Did, did anyone read uh, Rory Smith's interview with the Timber Brothers before this game? So, I so saw Quentin it, Timber. Didn't read it. Yeah, go, 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 go. So, so Quentin they Timber plays room, for right. Yes, that's what it's I'm trying so to get weird. to. So Quentin Timber plays for Feyenoord. Uh, Urian Timber plays for for Ajax. And Rory Smith wrote up an interview for the New York Times last week with with the two of them, their brothers, obviously. And the real headline, as as uh, as you say, Taylor, is they share a room, which. I mean, I just can't get over the fact that two professional footballers playing at a high level, they will they will be wealthy enough to have their own place. Certainly their own room are Bert and Ernie in, it, in the Eredivisie. Hang on a second, Graham. How does that work? Because one surely lives in Amsterdam, one surely lives in Rotterdam. I don't know. I don't know how it works, but apparently they <laughs> Mid- live together and sleep in the same room. Yeah, wow. Midway between. It, it would be stranger if they didn't like share a room growing up and then decided to do this i'm going to assume they shared a room i knew some guys who did this uh they did this in college they had a four-bedroom house they had three roommates and they shared a bedroom uh and i like to think that maybe that's what the timber brothers are doing they're just very very cautious with with money they don't want to overspend even though they're both professional footballers so they got some roommates and they can just split that room and it will be fine Absolutely. I mean, it is prudent. Maybe they live in like a three-bedroom yeah. house or like, yeah. like one's our living room. Why do we need two bedrooms? We can have another room for activities, stepbrother yeah. style. And, yeah. you know, yeah. they're, 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 they're uh, attaching the bunk bed on top of each other, the beds on top of each other to create bunk beds. Yeah. And yeah. one jumps on top and collapses on top of each other. Yeah. We need one a them, about this. One of them has a katana, for sure. Uh, yeah, I like I like this sitcom. Ryan, you are reusing a Starbucks cup from the other day, so I, I think you should embrace the, the, the frugal nature of the Timber Brothers when it comes to their housing accommodations. Uh, one other thing, taking us back to the game for a moment, uh, to praise uh, Arnie Slotz. Uh, I will not ever learn how to pronounce his name, but I will do my best. Um, Talking about the the Rome Lazio or the uh, Roma Lazio game for a moment, when you have a player sent off for a second yellow card in the first what thirty two minutes, uh, credits to Slots for basically recognizing this is not working, and he takes off Hartman, who had gotten the assist for the goal, but uh, picks up a yellow card, is really struggling to handle Mohamed Kudush, and I think recognized there's going to be a second yellow card very soon if I don't make a change. So he does. He brings on Marcus Lopez in the first half, and that's always a really difficult decision and a really risky one for a manager and if it goes wrong you burned a sub you changed the chemistry you got your starting 11 wrong whatever the narrative may be but i think it takes that type of decision to win this type of game and that's exactly what happened so credit to him uh i'm reusing my starbucks cup because i love mother nature as much as i love uh mermaid drinks thank you for asking Taylor. of course of course of course uh, there we go eredivisie coverage for you schmuck and a pancake fans let's take a quick look at the bundesliga dortmund getting a 6-1 win over cologne putting them top of the league hello and royce with braces in that game uh dortmund staying one point clear because Bayern munich didn't win but uh by leverkusen got the privilege there a 2-1 win over Bayern. two second half penalties sealing it for leverkusen first of april taylor Bayern versus Dortmund. Ooh, title decider. Man, it's going to be so good. I'm so excited that we get that. And I'm so excited that we get that from a position of Dortmund on top, theoretically feeling confident and not sort yeah, of... That 5-0 Bayern win is going to be painful for us all. But uh, true. I just, so often we talk about that, that fixture, though, the title decider, and it's Dortmund are four points back, three points back, whatever it may be. And it's sort of Dortmund have to win this one to keep a pace. And then they lose it. And then they're six points back, seven points back, whatever it may be. This time around, I like that it's just a little bit different of a scenario. And it is Bayern coming in with a bit of pressure on them and on Nagelsmann, especially after this game. 
in which like their I have to say their first goal or the goal for Bayern was such a good reminder of how dangerous Bayern Munich can be because they were not good in the first 15 minutes of this one. I, I felt like they were kind of outplayed. Uh, Leverkusen very much up for it. The intensity and the energy was there. Um, I will add that I forgot Xabi Alonso was their manager, and remembering that made me about 30 times more excited to watch Leverkusen play and root for Leverkusen. Uh, so I don't know if that bias is part of this, but Bayern not really at the races or not just up for it, sloppy in possession, giving the ball away needlessly. And then zero shots on target. They just sort of pass, 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 get the goal. And it's not just that they pass their way through and get a goal. It's that it's good combination play. They play out of pressure. It's a cross into the box that Goretzka brings down, takes a touch, picks his head up, waits, waits for Kimmich to make that advancing run, then lays it off to Kimmich. And it's just the calm, the poise that even when things aren't going well for Bayern, they're able to still find a way through. It's just also the case that then with Bayern, they don't really take their foot off the gas. I think that's a kind of a hallmark of the way Nagelsmann wants them to play. But as a result, both of Leverkusen's goals, which come from VAR penalties, but both of them are counterattacks, and then the penalty is conceded. Both of them with Bayern committing numbers to the attack, giving the ball away cheaply when they did not need to, and then they have six or seven players completely out of the run of play. And it's, uh, I think it's a 3v2 for for uh, for Leverkusen for the first one and a 5v4 for the second, or a 5v3 for the second. So Bayern sort of showcasing how good they can be, but also how they are beatable if they get a little bit overextended. Yeah, and, and everything that you just laid out there, Taylor, kind of reminds me, I was watching this game, I was trying to think, who, who, what team does this Bayern Munich side remind me of? And I kind of settled on Pep's Barcelona in the way that 9 out of 10 times they suffocate suffocate you. So they push so aggressively up, aggressively up the pitch, and if you're an opponent, you just have nowhere to go. But then every so often they, they come up against a team that can bypass the press and can get in behind... And that's what Leverkusen did here. It's what PSG did in the second half of the first leg um, in the Champions League once Mbappe came on off the bench. And Leverkusen, as I say, just have the pace to do that. And and it makes that Champions League quarterfinal against Man City, to extend this thought, um, it makes that game really interesting because Pep's best chance might be to play to Erling Haaland's strengths and play in quick transition. And that obviously goes against the grain of what Pep Guardiola normally likes to do. But against this Bayern Munich team, Man City certainly have the players to expose them in an even more brutal way than than Leverkusen did in this game. So I'm looking forward to seeing how that pans out. I'm looking forward to seeing that Dortmund-Bayern Munich game on April 1st, you said, Ryan? That's the date, right? Um, I'm looking forward to that because it feels like Dortmund as well might be built to expose expose those weaknesses. And um, as good as this Bayern Munich team are and is... It's, it still feels like there is a weakness to them. You, if you can get in behind them, they are vulnerable, and that's exactly what Leverkusen did here. Uh, I'm assuming you're not specifically just talking about Dio Upamecano when, you, when you're talking about the weakness for Bayern Munich, but you also <laughs> could be. Uh, that is what I would do if I were Pep Guardiola, is I would basically just have Holland. If Upamecano's on that pitch, you stay near him, you run at him, you make your runs around him. Uh, Sam Tai, for the, for the Ranks uh, podcast, once mentioned that with Upamecano, he saw him play so well, but... I think the first six times he saw him play or something like that, there was still this one just egregious mistake in the game. And he was good for one bad mistake every single game. In this game, he has two inside of 60 seconds. He has he attempts a sort of back pass header for people who haven't seen it. 
to Jan Summer, the Bayern goalkeeper, as he's coming off of his line, and he heads it past Summer. Luckily, he kind of rounds Summer and then picks the ball back up, but that was an, a, a, a foolish decision. Then he's involved in the giveaway that leads to the counterattack, and then obviously he concedes the penalty uh, for the second goal for Leverkusen's second penalty. But just some some needless mistakes there when Bayern could have been a little bit tidier or could have just gone long and put the pressure back on Leverkusen. I think in some ways Bayern were sowing the seeds of their own demise in this game, even as Leverkusen played very well, played a very effective game plan, clearly had an approach they wanted to execute, and I think they did. But Bayern also, I think, played into that a little bit in this one. Did they use the VAR to check whether Upamecano's sliding tackle was inside the box? Was that the check? Because I can't, I can't believe that there was a check on whether that was a foul or not. <laughs> it, it, it must have been, obvious right? sort of. Yeah, but it, then has, it, doesn't, it has to have been. But it doesn't make sense, though, because if you're reviewing it to see if the foul was in the box, but there hasn't been a foul yet, that also kind of is confusing, right? Because if the original call, for people who didn't watch this game or haven't heard about it, both of Leverkusen's penalties are originally called uh, for dives from uh, Adli, Yassine Adli. Uh, he gets two different yellow cards, both of them uh, rescinded after VAR, the official both times looking a little bit cheapish, more so the second than the first. Uh and uh, and both times he's booked for simulation. The official has a look at it. And for this second one, the contact does seem like it's outside the box. It seems like maybe he did go to ground really easily. Then there's that one angle that shows, nope, he was just clipped by Opamakano and down he went. But if it is the case that they were looking, did it occur inside the box or outside the box, you first have to decide if it's a foul. I didn't know if VAR could do that. So I'm a little confused by this one, even if this is, a, in my mind, a very good example of why VAR is good, that... There's two calls that should have gone one way, and had they not have, you have oddly getting sent off instead of being the hero and drawing two penalties. All right, so we're doing VAR analysis, so it's time to take a break. Uh, when we come <laughs> back, uh, let's talk about the FA Cup, the Premier League, and of course, Major League Soccer. Back shortly. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. 
Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Time to Soccer Show. Welcome back. Let's turn our attention to the Football Association Cup quarterfinals. Man City 6, Vincent Company's Burnley, nothing. Uh, you've never, Harlem with Brian, you've never, you've never sounded more British than you did right then in that specific moment. Please continue. How about this? Ajax is Kenneth Taylor, which is the most British sounding name for someone born in Alkmaar. <laughs> Anyway, uh, uh, Erling Haaland with a hat-trick in this one. Uh, his sixth of the season. His second of the week. Uh, 42 goals this season. It is March still, by the way. Uh, 44 goals is the Premier League error record. He is looking to break. So only two to break that one. He's probably going to do that. Uh, yeah. Elsewhere in Manchester, Man United 3, Fulham 1. A comeback win for Man United. Taylor, there was a big button that said self-destruct on it. And Fulham just slammed their fist on it in this one. Uh, Mitrovic and William getting red cards. And Marco Silva getting a red card as well over one incident. What I don't get, Taylor, is it was a pretty clear-cut penalty for handball yeah. against Willian. Well, he he wasn't handled that it on the line, it. Ryan. Yeah, <laughs> Mitrovic basically died for it. What, why were they so angry about this clear-cut <laughs> incident? I don't get it. I, I don't either. It doesn't make any sense, especially, I you know, I think this is kind of the prevailing narrative, but I'm going with it anyway, that it's, it is Willian handballing on the line. It's going to be a goal if he doesn't do that. Whether or not he meant to, to me, it looks like he moved his hand to block the ball, and he did a very good job of doing it. It's just when you have VAR, cameras are going to see that. So at that point, uh, it, it's using his hand means he wasn't playing the ball, like, like making a deliberate play on the ball. So it's not dog so or whatever. So it is going to be a red card. But at that point, it still felt like Fulham could have won this game. Manchester United looked... Every bit like a team that has played midweek games for, what, 13 or 14 weeks or 13 years straight. I forget what it is for them, but the fixtures adding up, the injuries adding up, they did not look particularly motivated or energetic for this one. And I think Fulham playing with a chip on their shoulder and feeling chagrined by that decision could have definitely still won this game or uh, forced it into something interesting. Uh, And instead... It's Mitrovic losing his mind, but lest we forget, before he gets that red, Marco Silva gets a red card. And for your manager to be sent off for, as you've said, Ryan, and I would agree with, a pretty straightforward red card, that that feels like right there your manager has sort of set the stage by losing his cool, blowing his stack, getting sent off, not being there, not being there to rally and keep the team composed, and that bleeds into the team. When it's 
your own teammates and the opposition goalkeeper and a couple other opposition players trying to pull you back, I would assume as a player you would think, maybe I've gone a bit too far. Maybe this is where I should calm down a little bit. And I did appreciate that Mitrovic has one moment when he stops, sort of has an, an animated but calm conversation with David De Gea and then remembers, oh, right, rage, and goes back to screaming at the <laughs> official. Like, it was a momentary break, and then back in he came. I don't get it either, and if I'm a Fulham fan, I would feel pretty frustrated by the way this played out. And that's the, the, the confusing thing about it, Taylor, is it was like uh, a switch had been flicked with mm-hmm. Mitrovic because I thought this game, I was watching this game live, I thought it was quite low-key. It felt like Manchester City were sort of sleepwalking through the game, mm-hmm. Fulham were in control. It wasn't a very fiery match until all of a sudden Mitrovic decided to murder the referee. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, all, all, I, all I can think is that like there's... It's supposed to be, or at least it was supposed to be, that if you touch the referee, you can make that a straight red card, even just for touching him. And we see players so often sort of like putting an arm around him or like tapping him on the shoulder or whatever, trying to get his attention. And I think there's been maybe too much leeway with that. And in this case, Mitrovic, he doesn't choke the referee. He doesn't punch him. He just gives him like a shove while he's animatedly talking. But that is a red card and should be. And I do think that is something that officials should be allowed to police more and give out more cards for being... I mean... I wouldn't have felt bad if the official shoved some people because he's completely surrounded and just saying, like, it's going to VAR. This is not me. They're going to look at it. They're going to tell me what to do. And he still just has everybody talking in his face, bodies all around him. I can't imagine that feels safe for an official. Boo-hoo the the refs. But I I think that is something I would like to see is more cards given out for that just because I think players get a little bit too much license to chat, a little bit too much license to be chummy. And I think then in those moments they sort of lose the plot because they're – don't have that boundary there, that very clear boundary, and in the end they get a red card for it. Yeah, definitely so. Mitrovic might be headed for a decent ban for putting his hands on the referee. And worst of all, he had to take an early shower at Old Trafford where presumably there was a river of pee (laughs) on the floor. Well, that was the shower. Speaking of that, uh, the the Timber Brothers living in the same room is the second time on this show that I think I've stepped on a Graham Ruffin punchline. Graham, that sports washing joke has has made me laugh like three more times in the course of this episode. That was solidly (laughs) done, my friend. Yeah, Yeah. I'm glad we got that early. yeah, yeah. <laughs> save that up for a week. That's, that's <laughs> your lot. Uh, the FA Cup semi-finals: Brighton versus Man United, Man City versus Sheffield United. So your Man United, Man City final coming shortly. Uh, Premier League: Arsenal four, Crystal Palace one. Arsenal staying top of the league with that one. Chelsea getting a two-two draw against Everton, an 89th minute leveler from Ellis Sims, lifting uh, Everton out of the relegation zone. Uh, an amusing video of Todd Bowley leaving the stadium yeah. on social, <laughs> describing it as. A effing poop game. If we're going to clean it up, uh, he wasn't impressed by uh, that one. Uh, not no beer it's... for Potter after this one, <laughs> yeah. or, or maybe it was just a really bad beer. What's worse yeah. than a Bud Light? Bud Light uh, a lukewarm Bud Light with lime, I think, was placed on the floor in the River of Pea at uh, Stamford Bridge. If there is one, uh, one other Premier League game we should talk to before getting talk about before getting to MLS: Southampton three, Tottenham three. Uh, some interesting VAR decisions going on here, certainly with that uh, uh, Papisar decision, Graham. But uh, the Antonio Conte press conference yeah. was quite extraordinary after this one. Uh, Conte saying, they're used to it here, not playing for anything important. <laughs> they don't want to play under pressure, under stress. This is Tottenham's story. 20 years of the owner and they never win anything. Why? <laughs> um <laughs> That's on you, Antonio, at the moment. I think that's your problem uh, right now. The way, the way Graham, I, he, like, he's 
quite clearly trying to quit. He's trying to get out of his contract early. That's quite yeah. clear. He's trying to be fired. Very clearly yeah, trying to be fired. very much so. Yeah. But to yeah. dig out his own players the way he is and not take any responsibility for his own part in this charade is incredible, Graham. It's like he's trolling his own club. Or, or it's kind of like if he was a sleeper agent for Chelsea, if he was still on the payroll of Chelsea, this is how he would behave and basically is, is burn he? down... Like, I don't know. Possibly, with the payout, possibly. he might still be on the payroll at Chelsea. That's possible. <laughs> yeah, he might still be getting a payout from uh, from Chelsea. <laughs> this is how he would behave if he was a sleeper agent for Chelsea or Arsenal, because he hits like all the th- all the insecurities that Tottenham have as a club. You know, like we- we're not a serious club. We-, we we don't win anything. We don't play with any pressure. Tot- like Antonio Conte hits every single one of them, and it was hilarious as a neutral like I was laughing as you're going through those that 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 quote Ryan because I can't really think of another manager who's gone this far in on his own employers and and obviously a, a, a blatant effort to get sacked but if I was a Spurs fan I'd be absolutely furious because he doesn't have much of a, a leg to stand on in terms of his of his of his complaints Conte is right that Tottenham's history over the last 20 years is to play without pressure and to not win Guess who was hired to change that? The the person who was hired as the most expensive, the highest paid manager in Tottenham's history. They were getting a winner, apparently. It was a real coup for Spurs to get Antonio Conte. He was the guy that was meant to change that for Spurs. And what he's doing now is just complete egotism. He's he's preemptively laying the groundwork to explain excuse his own failings and and if his if, if his players have a bad attitude why does he keep playing them without much change that's one of the criticisms that Spurs fans have is that it's the same team week in week out players like Jed Spence never really given an opportunity Pedro Porro starts this game but he was out of the team after coming in as January is part, apparently part of the solution so if the players that he has been signed if he doesn't like those players either then why did Conte want him in the first place so I think if I was a Spurs fan, I would be at the end of the te- of my tether with Conte. Of course, that is part of why he's doing this. He's trying to get out of this contract pretty yeah. early, I think. He has acted like Spurs are below him from the moment he has arrived there. And if I were a fan or his employer, I'd be thoroughly fed up with this by now. Yeah, so two things. Graham, I agree with every single word you just said. Two things. First, Antonio Conte needs more ketchup in his life. Like, I think we can see a positive correlation <laughs> between Antonio Conte's outspoken hatred for ketchup and his grumpy comments. I think ketchup is the best condiment that exists. I, I love ketchup. I kind of eat fries just so I can eat ketchup. So I, I think Conte like would daughter. see some... Yeah. She's we, three, I, by the way. Yeah, we would mine. get along very, very well. <laughs> we would get along very, very well. Um, so that, that's the first thing. The second thing is that comment from Conte reads exactly like something that Thierry Henry would say in a French accent. Like, as a neutral, on a panel, doing coverage of the team. Like, it's fair. It's harsh. It's critical. Like... All of those things are, are true. It just reads like anyone outside the club said it rather than the one who's like the, the foremost face of the team right now. Absolutely comical stuff from Conte. Like this is, it's it's awful that he's saying this stuff. Like it's it's so blatantly clear how willing and ready he is to be done with this job. I've never seen someone in this space go to this extent to actually do this stuff. Like I don't, he, he, it's entertaining, right? And I love the content. <laughs> He's handling it horribly, right? Like, if I'm a manager interested in hiring Antonio Conte, I'm significantly less interested in doing that right now. Speaking for myself, not for soccer executives that are, you know, always good at their jobs and always hire the right people. Uh, I would be very hesitant to hire Antonio Conte now after seeing how he's treating all this stuff. At the same time, go on, Conte. Like, this is this is the good stuff. Please, we got another two how months of this. Let's keep it rolling. 
how are they still fourth? I can't get my head around this. <laughs> um, since you made that sound like a Seinfeld bit, how are they still fourth? Um, I, that is <laughs> my latest. Sh- content? <laughs> my, my latest show that I've been uh, rewatching while doing dishes and sort of half paying attention to is Seinfeld. And I'm sure I'm not the first person to point this out. It does remind me of the episode in which George is trying to get fired by the Yankees to then be hired by the Mets. And so he, I think he like eats strawberries while wearing Babe, Babe Ruth's actual jersey. And then he drags the World Series trophy behind his car while ranting about how bad the organization is. It does feel like that level of, I have got to get out of here. I am burning all the bridges. Uh, and if we want to extend the Seinfeld analogy, I do then sort of savor the idea of the gigs that Antonio Conte thinks might be open suddenly not being open, other managers taking them, and then he has to do the other George Costanza, which is show back up for preseason training at Tottenham and pretend like he didn't say all that stuff and just hope that no one remembers and he can just go on uh, working that gig. Uh, overall, though, I think Joe has kind of blown my mind with the catch-up analogy because there is a part of me that thinks that maybe there is some truth to it. Not just because ketchup is sort of a universally beloved ingredient except by people who, uh, you know, don't have taste buds, not have fun. Exactly. Uh, But also just like, yeah, if you're living your life where it's like, no, we cannot have that. We must do this. It must be this way. It must be that way. Like, I don't know. Lighten up a little bit. Lighten up a little bit and see what happens. And he has had plenty of medical issues this season. It's been a difficult season for him, I think, off the pitch as well as on. But all the same, like, yeah, maybe maybe eat a little bit of ketchup and then see if there's a rosier outlook the next morning. Well, like Graham's daughter, my youngest daughter also loves ketchup on mm-hmm. everything, but she puts it on pasta, which I think would send Conte over the edge. I don't think we should uh, share that information with him at this yeah, point. He is still, I mean, as we your record... Your daughter in Olive Garden. <laughs> hey, oh. we, uh, we, he is top the manager while we're recording. That could change. He, they have an international break now to sort that situation out, do Tottenham. Uh, we're doing um, some MLS on Tuesday's show, of course, but a quick look at Major League Soccer before we head off from this show. Joe, surely we have to start with St. Louis, who are atop the Supporters' Shield standings at the moment. The first ever expansion side to go 4-0 in the first four games of their inaugural season with that 3-0 win over San Jose. I, for one, welcome our new St. Louis overlords. Yeah, bring it on. I guess arches in every city. You know, we're going to call every every time you say the word city, you have to yell it. And every time you type it, you got to put it in all caps. Like, I think this is yep. this is what the world looks like with St. Louis City SC ruling Major League Soccer. I, I've i said it before. Like, I said it after 1-0, 2-0, 3-0, now 4-0-0. I, I didn't see it coming. I've been dead wrong so far. This team has been much more impressive than I thought they'd be. Their designated players have been genuinely very good. Jao Klaus gets a goal in this game against San Jose. Klaus! Edward Lovin. Lovin looks like a top five, top ten player in Major League Soccer, which I did not expect after his good but not great resume over in Germany. Just everything seems to be coming together for this team right now. It's early in the year. Yes, I don't want to diminish what St. Louis are doing, but it, it is early and it's going to be difficult for them to sustain this form. Let me back up. It's, it will be impossible for them to sustain this particular form over any extended <laughs> form. It's, it's going to be difficult for them to even get close to this as the year goes on. But the best part about what they're doing right now is they're developing a cushion. They have a five-point lead after four weeks. They have a five-point lead at the top of the Western Conference. That gives them a massive cushion. They also have, I think, a nine-point lead over the playoff line, which is all the way down in ninth, which is still so stupid and awful. Um, but you know, <laughs> credit to St. Louis for what they're doing. I- I've been extremely impressed. The atmosphere in their second home game against San Jose looked really, really good. Like mm. they're they're a must-watch team uh, right now. I think they're they're embedding themselves into my must-watch teams 
not because I'm sure that they're the best team in the league. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're not, but because I want to see how long they can keep this thing going. And, and they've done a great job of combining all of these factors into something su- successful, really, at this point in the year. Definitely. Cat food kits for all. Well done, St. Louis. Uh, we mentioned Atlanta 5, Portland 1 at the top. Uh, yeah. In the context of Thiago Amada's incredible free kick, uh, where he's probably added another $10 million to his uh, summer transfer value, Joe. I think he maybe has. Graham, I want your perspective on this because you live in not the United States and I live in the United States and we're all being told and and I'm working on an article to be transparent for MLS about how good Tiago Almada is because he is very, very good. This Same <laughs> for the Guardian. Uh, so <laughs> we can just swap notes, Jim. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> uh, but I mean, Graham, is there buzz around this guy right now? Because it's it's reached like a fever pitch here in the US, but obviously things are going to be colored differently on the other side of the Atlantic. Um, I would say there is social media buzz around okay. Thiago Amada. I saw Newcastle United fans talking about him at the weekend there. I think there's been maybe tentative links with Newcastle. Obviously, Almiron went to Newcastle from Atlanta. Darren Eels is the, is the new, what is he, sporting director, CEO or something at Newcastle United. And he was in, uh, the previously CEO at Atlanta United. So there are links there. It wouldn't surprise me if he did end up at Newcastle. I believe the video of his free kick from the weekend yeah. weekend has had over three million views now. So that tells me that there is buzz outside MLS circles because that is not normal for MLS videos. So yeah, he he very much looks like the real deal at this point. You would say potentially the best player to ever come out of MLS. I know Almiron's had a great season, but I think Almada's potentially even a, a, a level above Almiron. So I am excited as much as I will be gutted to see him leave MLS it kind of feels inevitable at this point yeah. and I'm excited to see what his next step will be yeah and to, and to zoom out on Atlanta quickly I appreciate the insight there Graham because I was really curious about that coming into today's show Atlanta have looked dominant in their last two games they've scored eight goals five against Portland three against Charlotte Charlotte bounced back this week in a big way Ryan so congrats to you get your first one of the season uh, some some things that I got angry about last week being fixed, rightly so, by Latanzio. So credit to them for doing that. Play, but playing Atlanta correct ha- players in their correct positions, Joe. Right, that, that, the thing that they does did help. This week? Yeah, right. that does yeah, help a lot. Um, I'll, I will say about Atlanta, and I tweeted this over the weekend. I, I'm impressed. I want to see it against a real team. I think we're getting closer to that. They've got Columbus next week. They've got uh, Red Bulls and NYCFC. Like There are, are stronger opponents than I think last week's version of Charlotte and this current version of Portland with like three healthy players. So Atlanta, keep doing your thing. I'm just not maybe all the way there on Atlanta or even Almada yet because of how small the sample size is and like how bad the teams that they've played have been so far this year. Wonderful stuff. All right, plenty more Major League Soccer analysis on Tuesday's show, as we say. But for now, we have run long enough for this wonderful weekend. Weekend with you. That's a spoonerism. <laughs> That's what we call that in the trade. Taylor Rocco, thank you very much indeed for your contributions. Thank you, my friend. Uh, Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, sir. Right back at you, Ryan. And Graham Ruffman, once again, the sports washing line. Chef's kiss. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. <laughs> Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this intrepid journey. We'll be back on your feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.